Well, good morning. My name is Dean. Uh, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I'm the lead pastor here at LifePoint. If today is day number one for you, we are thrilled to have you um, as our guest. And the only thing that we would ask from you as our guest is if sometime you can do it now, you can do it at the end of the service, you take out your smartphone, open up your camera app, and point it at the QR code on one of the chairs that's in front of you. Um, that'll open up uh, our LifePoint app. You can also type in lpguest.com if you want to type that in your browser. Take you to the same spot. The reason that I tell you that, well, two reasons actually. One is notes for the message this morning are there underneath the guest tab. If you'd like to follow along with those, with those notes there, you can follow along there. Second thing, there's a guest card that is available to you there. It'll take you less than a minute to fill it out. We have five ministries that we're partnered with right there. You choose one, the one that's closest to you. We'll make an additional $5 donation in your honor to give you uh, the chance to do something just missional and kind just by being here uh, and, uh, and sharing this time with us today. You are joining us in the middle of a series called Labels, where we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke this summer. Now, the reason that we have been doing that is we're focusing on this reality that Luke actually teaches us uniquely about people that felt uh, left out too far from God, um, maybe didn't feel um, able to receive God's grace. They were felt marginalized in some way, either culturally, spiritually, uh, socially, in some way. But Luke um, shows us how the gospel calls us to a life that's above labels. Those folks felt the same pressure that we feel in our culture and society today, that there are times where somebody says, you're not this, you are this, you don't fit this. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we label ourselves and we tell ourselves these messages. And so the gospel calls us to a life that's above that. We're trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, right? We're trying to get back to that original image of God that he stamped on Adam and Eve, putting his nature into them and it's into us as we're born into the world, yet it's been marred by sin. And so we're gonna take these labels that we're gonna attach them to ourselves and we're gonna see ourselves differently than the way that God sees us. So we're trying to push, we're trying to, to get back to that. So today, as we continue our journey through Luke, we're gonna look at Luke chapter 19. So if you got a copy of the scriptures and you wanna turn there, turn over to Luke chapter 19. We'll look at a story that um, is familiar to some of you probably. For some of you, maybe the first time that you've ever heard it. So Luke chapter 19, verse one. He, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass by that way. So this is the beginning of the last week of Jesus's life. He starts it in Jericho over the next eight days. He's working his way towards Passover in Jerusalem. So this is the beginning of that movement. In Jericho, there's a man there, his name is Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up going to church, especially if you grew up going to church in the Midwest, there was a little song that you learned as a kid about Zacchaeus. Um, if you've been around for a minute, before we moved into uh, this facility, not quite a year ago, we talked devotionally that Sunday about Zacchaeus on that Sunday uh, before we moved in. And I mentioned this song then, but I thought, you know what, we should probably just, uh, we should probably just sing it, right? If you know it, if you don't know it, that's, that's cool. Um, no problem, you can listen to uh, my uh, poor musical abilities. But everybody join me so I don't sound too bad. It goes like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. 
He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And this is where I start getting a little fuzzy right here. And I think the next verse goes, and a quack, quack here, and a quack, quack. They start getting kind of muddy, right? It's getting kind of, kind of muddy there. So today we're going to talk about Zacchaeus, who has been, you know, Poor guy, labeled the wee little man. I mean, you think about the Bible, you think about, you got Samson, who's the strong man in the Bible. You got David, who's the warrior king of the Bible. And you've got Zacchaeus, who's the wee little man of the, I mean, that's what, that's how we know him um, historically. So um, the end of that little song is what? That he's, that Jesus, he's coming to your house, right? He's, He's coming to your house today. And that's really the point of the text is that Jesus wants to dwell with us. That Jesus wants you and I to climb down out of our trees so that we can walk with him. That Jesus wants to come to your house. Now, what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, like everyone else in Palestine, he lives under the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. I'll show you um, a picture of the, the world that Rome had conquered. You'll see that in green. What a massive expanse of land that they conquered uh, the Roman kingdom at its height. Now, the only way that you can, um, can you oversee that massive uh, piece of dirt is that you have to have a massive army. Rome had 4 million foot soldiers in their army. To give you a comparison, the U.S. Army or armed forces today um, has about 1.4 million soldiers. So you think about that, Rome was almost three times the number of soldiers. The only way you can support that many soldiers in the Roman army, uh, that massive army was through a massive taxation. Some scholars say that 98% of the people who lived in Palestine did not know where their next meal was coming from. And so Rome, um, they taxed people and their method was called tax farming. They would come to a region and they would say, hey, 98% of people don't know where their next meal is coming from. You want to be in the 2%, right? And somebody would raise their hand. And at some point in his life, Zacchaeus raised his hand. What we learn about him in the text, he's a tax collector. Um, He's not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus is really, really good at what he does. Here's how their method of tax collection kind of went. Let's say you had a possession. Let's say you have a vehicle, your vehicle. Let's say you drive a fantastic 1998 candy apple red Silverado 2500 truck. I love mine, you may not love it, but I do, I love it. And let's say it's worth probably $2,500. Zacchaeus would call Rome, he would say, hey, Dean's got this truck and his truck's worth about $5,000. He would collect taxes on 5,000, he would pocket 2,500 and he would send along to Rome $2,500. So tax collectors got wealthy off the backs of their own family members, their own friends, their own neighbors, the people who live, their own countrymen. Zacchaeus has sold all of his own people down the river in partnership with Rome. And we tend to look at Zacchaeus and we tend to say, oh, the poor guy, he was, you know, he was the wee little man, right? No, 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 no. He's a traitor, he's a murderer. If you didn't pay your taxes, you face crucifixion. He is Benedict Arnold meets Al Capone. It is nothing short of organized crime. And Zacchaeus, he isn't just a tax collector, he's a chief, he is the, he is incredible at ripping people off. He is the face of hatred and Roman occupation in Jericho. Imagine if you're a parent, you've got two little kids and you come home at night and your kids say, dad, mom, do we have anything to eat today? I'm so hungry. And you have to look at your kids and you have to say, no, we don't have anything to eat kids. 
and the anger, the seething, the boiling that you feel that you cannot feed your children, the face of that anger is the wee little man, Zacchaeus. Well, he knows that Jesus is coming through town. He's heard about Jesus. This is the height of his popularity. Some people, a lot of people are now declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. Verse three says there's a, a crowd. That word, it's, a, it's not the best translation, to be honest. The word in the Greek means riot. There is a riot coming through Jericho. Zacchaeus knows he can't insert himself into that crowd. If he does, he'll get murdered. He'll get, he'll get killed. If he puts himself in that crowd, not only is he small of stature, he'll get lost. Somebody, somebody will take him out. So what does he do? He finds a sycamore tree. Why a sycamore tree? Big leaves, right? Big leaves, sycamore tree. He's gonna climb up in that tree, sit up there. It'll pass right underneath. He knows right where the, where the crowd's going and nobody will ever notice him. Sitting up there, here comes the riot. And watch what happens in verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, the place being the sycamore tree, he looked up. Now, can you imagine if you're Zacchaeus? You're the most hated guy in town. There's this riot around the Messiah, the one who's gonna free the Israelites, the people from Rome, and they're, they're so excited. And all of a sudden Jesus stops in the middle of this crowd of people. He looks up in the sycamore tree and he locks eyes with the face of Roman hatred. And when Jesus looks up, the people around him would have looked up and they would have looked up and they would have seen Zacchaeus. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, come on, Messiah, right? Give it to him. You give it to him. My hungry children, people that I've watched in my family starve. Jesus, this is why you're here. It says, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When he saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Jesus looks up in that tree and everybody thinks Jesus is just gonna nail him. And Jesus says, Zach, why don't you come down because I gotta go to your house. Now in their culture, if you went to someone's house, that implied fellowship, that implied um, a relationship with, that, that was um, congenial, right? And all of a sudden, all the people are like, wait a minute, you're the Messiah? What kind of Messiah are you? He's a sinner. He's stolen from us. People have lost their lives. They've lost their lives because of this guy. And they're confused. Just like Jesus does throughout the gospel of Luke, he embraces the people that don't feel like they're able to be embraced. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna stay at your house. And here's how that goes. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus, after coming down out of the tree, stood and he said to the Lord, right there walking towards his house, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Since he is also a son, of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Two things that I think we can learn from the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Number one, God displays his love for us through the tree. God displays his love for us through the tree. Last week of Jesus's life headed towards Jerusalem. What's amazing to me is that on this day, Zacchaeus, right, is in the tree. Jesus on the ground, Zacchaeus in the tree. And you think, right? You, you think about the exchange that takes place there. Because in just a few days, those two things are gonna flip. And it's gonna be Jesus 
who's on the tree, on the cross, on Mount Calvary, dying for the sins of Zacchaeus. See, there's something, something inside of you, something inside of me that looks at Zacchaeus as like, when you really know what he was about and you really know what he's done, isn't there, isn't there just a little bit of something in you that says, how could God forgive somebody like Zacchaeus? Like, it doesn't seem right that God's just gonna forgive him of all this stuff that he's done until you realize that we are all Zacchaeus, that we are all born into this world, separated from God, that we're all in need of the Savior, the one who said he came to seek and save those who were lost. This is this declaration of the life of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, that he came to seek and to save. And we are all Zacchaeus. We're all broken by sin. We've, we've been hurt by others. We've hurt others. We've done things that are wrong. We have regrets. We have things we wish we could go back. And we can, we're all Zacchaeus. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to seek and to save us so that we can get down out of our trees. And just like Zacchaeus, we can be forgiven, right? We're all lost. And you're gonna say back to me, I'm lost. What you talking about, man? I, I'm not lost. I don't feel lost. I'm just gonna to say to you that God has this standard for us to meet and none of us have met it. And not only can we not meet God's standard, I don't think we can even meet our own standards, right? How many of you made a New Year's resolution over the past few years? I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. I'm gonna be nicer. I'm gonna gossip less. I'm not gonna talk about other people. I'm gonna watch less TV this year. I'm gonna read more. I'm gonna, how, how are those going for you? Right? I mean, we, we can't even keep the promises we make to ourselves, let alone live up to the standard that God has placed. But that's okay. Because the reality is what we should do is that we should come before God and we should say, God, this isn't working for me. I'm realizing I can't change me, I can't fix me, I can't fix the people around me. So what I'm gonna do, God, instead of keep trying in my own effort, I'm gonna humble myself. I'm gonna lay my life down in front of you and I'm gonna allow you to do in me what I can't do in me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive the salvation that you offer instead of trying to find ways to functionally be my own savior. God's love for us is displayed, it's displayed through the tree. Jesus offering himself in a painful, horrific death, sacrificing himself for our sins. So second thing then is that our love for God is displayed through repentance. God displays his love for us through the tree. We display our love for God through repentance. Now repentance is just a big Bible word uh, that means a spiritual U-turn. And like I said a second ago, um, we are all Zacchaeus, right? We have all been born into this world, and when we are born, we are not going God's way. We're born going this way. We're born headed my way. And at some point, right, we have to turn away from selfishness. We have to turn away from doing life our way. The things that we want, putting myself first, thinking I'm the center of the universe and everything revolves around me, I make a spiritual U-turn, right? And I decide instead of going my way, I'm gonna go God's way. By the way, before service, this was, this was great. Before service started today, um, I was carrying the easel out of the back room and uh, I came around the corner. Christy Lowe, our missions director, was coming this way and I almost ran into her. She's like, whoa, I'm just trying to get out of God's way. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> it was very funny, right? So you gotta make a spiritual U-turn. All of us, Zacchaeus, all going our way, born into the world, gotta make a spiritual U-turn, turn around, and we're all gonna go God's way. And that's why you see in the story of Zacchaeus, all of a sudden he's walking with Jesus on the road to his house. 
And he realizes if Jesus knows my name, he knows who I am. And if he knows who I am, he knows what I've done. And if he knows what I've done, something has to change. And Zacchaeus, he makes this spiritual U-turn because money had been his functional God. Money has been his functional savior. So all of a sudden he says, listen, I've got to repent. I've got to go the other direction. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give away 50% of everything I've got. That was not according to the law. And he says, if I've stolen from anybody, anything from anyone, I'm gonna give it back four times what I've stolen from. That was according to the law. That was Numbers chapter five. And you see this incredible repentance come to Zacchaeus because he realizes that his stuff was not his stuff. That he, he kind of enters into this moment of, of what I would call nothing short of, of financial repentance. And anytime you start talking to people about money, they get a little bit uncomfortable. I would suggest to you, it should not make us uncomfortable as Christians. Rather, it should make us joyful when we see it from God's perspective. Now, one of the things about um, preaching and teaching that has changed over my tenure um, as, um, as a, a teacher over the last probably 25 years in teaching people, when I first started, teaching and teaching God's word. The way it worked was you explained what God's word said and you just explained it and you said to everybody, just obey it, right? What's changed from then to now is that now you kind of have to explain what God's word says and then talk to people about how they feel about it before you say, just obey it. It's just, it's just a little bit different. So I think we should feel joyful about the resources that God has given us, don't you? So let's all clap and be grateful for all the resources that God gives us. All right. Let's all fake laugh really, really hard. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. On three, let's all give a big fake laugh. One, two, three. <laughs> I want you to feel good about the fact that we're about to talk about God's resources that he has, that he has given you. Our stuff is not our stuff. The stuff that God puts in our hands is God's stuff. And the stuff that God has given to us, we're just stewards of the stuff that he's placed in our hands. So let me say this to you. Money, money is a wonderful tool and a terrible God. It is a wonderful tool and a terrible God. And one of the reasons that people get uncomfortable talking about money, especially in American religion, and I use that term religion specifically, I'm not using that in terms of Christianity, but just in American religion in general is because we have this thing in America called the prosperity gospel. And here's how the prosperity gospel works. You go to a church and if you're faithful to give your money and your resources back to God, back to that particular leader, that particular televangelist, then the televangelist says that God's word teaches you that here's what God's going to do for you. If you give enough, what God's going to do for you is he's going to make you successful. He's going to make you healthy. He's going to answer uh, all of your prayers while he gives you all this wealth and he's going to do it immediately just like that. Now, the only problem with the prosperity gospel is the Bible, right? All you have to do is look at the life of Job, Jesus, or Paul, and you realize that, look, the numerous places in the Bible, just look at those three guys. God didn't answer all of their prayers immediately. God didn't make all of them successful. God didn't say yes to everything that they wanted. And at the same time, at the same time, the Bible does say that God, will meet all of your needs 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So as we're faithful to steward the stuff that God gives to us, what happens is that we see the faithfulness of God not in the moment exactly when we want it. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna have a crisis. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna, you're gonna hurt. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna go through anything that's difficult. But what it does mean is over the long arc of your life, you're gonna look back and you're gonna see the blessing of God. Psalm 37, 15 says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. That generally over the long arc of your life, what's gonna happen is that as you steward the stuff well that God gives to you, as you steward it, you're gonna look back and you're gonna do what we did today. You're gonna see, hey, this is, joy this is a joyful opportunity that I have to see the blessing of God because the stuff that I have is not my stuff. It's the stuff that God gives to me and I'm gonna do my best to steward it and to steward it, to steward it well. So does it happen in a moment? No. Is it a formula that you're gonna give X and God's gonna give you back X? No. And, and there will be moments. There will be moments as you're faithful in stewardship that you're gonna see the miraculous provision of God in your life. And I can't figure it out and I can't tell you when and I can't tell you how. This past week, um, I was with her a couple of weeks, the past couple of weeks, I was with a family um, from our church. And they've been here at LifePoint for a long time and uh, their family was growing back in 2006, 2007. So they had a house in, uh, the, down in the Southern part of, uh, of Lewis Center and they decided, uh, prayed it through, they, go, they bought another home. They moved up more further North in Lewis Center. And that's when they did that, you know, you got the 2007, 8, 2007, 2008 housing crisis hits and all of a sudden they can't sell the, this home over here, but they did buy the new home. So all of a sudden now they own the home that they're living in and they own their summer home in Southern Lewis Center, right? They still own two houses houses making payments on both of them and you know the crash right you remember that that occurred and for a year they made two house payments every month right both houses didn't want to go the direction of, of renting the house they really wanted to sell it back and forth after a year they came to me uh, one week and they said listen um, we're just asking that you pray with us because we sense in our prayer lives that God um, that God's given us this encouragement that we should give an extra offering on top of our tithing, give an extra offering in the amount of this, um, this other house, right? And um, in the same amount of the mortgage payment, we feel like God is calling us to give that. We just wanna ask you to pray with us. So sure, I'll absolutely, absolutely pray with you. They gave their offering that Sunday and the next week, they had people come through their house they made an offer, accepted, and sold. Miraculous. I mean, listen, you've gone a whole year, right? And God, God gives us a promise. You know, Derek mentioned at the top of the service today, there are 7,500 plus promises. 7,500 plus promises that God makes to us. We should be the ones making promises to him. And yet he makes that many promises to us. I'll give you one of those promises in... Um, uh, Malachi chapter three, verse 10, it says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. I want you to listen to that for a minute. Just think about that. The God of heaven says, put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down blessing until, until there's no more need. God says, just try me, just see. So you may say, how? Dean, I've never done this. I've never engaged in, how do I do that? The Bible advocates tithing. Tithe is a Bible word, just means 10%. It was around before the law, 
was around in the Old Testament, so it seems like across seasons, times in people's lives that we bring back to God 10% of God's money that he gives to us, right? We bring 10% back to him. And as we do that, God says, I will prove myself. I'll test me to see if I will prove myself to you that I can do more with your life on 90% of your income than you can do with your life on 100% of your income. Can you imagine the God of the universe saying, let me prove myself. Let me prove myself to you. And that's where I believe the obedience of uh, um, the joyfulness of being obedient in the stewardship of our resources starts to take root. The confidence that we have that God is gonna meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Because you have those moments, right? You own two, you have those kinds of moments along the way in your life and your confidence in God just grows. And I'm, I'm very blessed. Um, when I was eight years old, my parents, uh, living in Southern Ohio, down on the river, my parents had me get a job. Eight years old, me and my sister, we started a business, right? She's 12, I'm eight. We started a minnow business. We'd go out and set minnow traps in Buffalo Creek that ran by behind our house and we would trap minnows. We'd trap them, we'd get the minnow traps out of the water, we'd dump them in a bucket, and we'd take it down to a local pay lake and we would sell the minnows out of the creek as bait. We got 10 cents a dozen, right? We were rich. We had 10 cents a dozen for these minnows that we would sell back to the pay. Now we didn't make any money, right? We really, but that's not why my parents had me get a job. My parents had me get a job when I was eight years old so they could teach me to tithe. So every Sunday when we went to church, I had to figure up how much we had made that week. $2, I mean, I had to split it with my sister, even though I did all the work. I had to split the money with my sister, right? And I had to give away 20 cents. I mean, think about all I could buy at the local store, right? With 20, with 20 cents. And they taught me a lesson when I was really little that my stuff, my stuff is not my stuff, but it is a joy and an honor to give my stuff, right? I'm saying giving my stuff, I'm giving God back his stuff, right? That he has placed in my hands. And so from, from then, it's been a thing. It's just been a thing in my life. Is it the spiritual gift of giving? Maybe. Is it that my parents taught me this rhythm whenever I was really young? Maybe. Is it always easy? No, it's not always easy, but I do think it's always worth it. Every year we get to the end of the year and if you give uh, certainly to any um, 501 organization, but certainly to your church, they should provide you a giving statement at the end of the year. We provide giving statements every year in January. And I think two things every year when I see my giving statement. Every year I think two things, and they, they happen just like that right? I pull up the giving statement and I look at what God has blessed Angie and I to give over the past year. And I think, man, there's a lot of things that I could have done. But I simultaneously think this is the best investment that I could ever make. It's the most secure. I want you to think about that for a minute. It's the most secure investment of your resources that you will ever make. The scriptures clearly teach that everything we invest in kingdom realities goes ahead of us into eternity. And there are rewards based on our, our giving. There's a great little book I would encourage you to read by Bruce Wilkerson about, about this reality and about the joy that comes with being a good steward of the resources that God, that he gives to us. 
the things that he, that he places um, in our hands. And not always the easiest, but I would say 100%, it is, um, it is worth it. And it is worth the things that God gives to you and me to see his kingdom grow, to be personally involved. And listen, I hope you grow to be generous beyond tithing. Um, we're blessed that we're able to give to other ministries, right? We give 10% here to our local church, um, to LifePoint, but we're blessed to give some, to give to other ministries and other people who are part of parachurch ministries. And I hope you just continue to grow in the generosity that God brings. Now, for us as a church, I shared at the beginning uh, of this month that um, to where we are the first six months, months of the year through July, we're about 3% behind in budgeted giving um, for the year. What we said our budget was at the beginning, we're about 3% behind, it represents a little bit north um, of 80,000 or so dollars. So I asked our financial director, Martha Huff, I said, hey, Martha, will you kind of look into this and, and see what's going on? And so Martha came back and here's what she said. She said, you know, in 2021, the first six months of the year versus 2022, the first six months of the year, she said, here's one of the differences. We have 26 families from our church who were giving here at Lewis Center, who are now giving at other campuses, which is a blessing, right? We want to send people. We want to grow up disciples and where God calls them and we want to, we want to send them. So people are now going to Plain City and people are now going to Marion and people have moved maybe to a different, maybe they've moved to Prospect and now they're going to the Delaware campus. And so they're continuing to live in generosity continuing to live in generosity there. So what does that mean for us here at Lewis Center? It just means as we send people, we have to grow in discipleship. And again, according to, according to Martha, uh, our financial director, about, um, about 55% of our members and regular attenders here at Lewis Center have given this year, which means about 45% of the people who call Lewis Center home members and regular attenders have not chosen to give financially this year. So we've got room, we've got room to grow, right? So I would encourage you to prayerfully take a step. Now I tried to think through what are some of your responses gonna be to me, right? Some of you are gonna say to me, wait, well, Dean, um, man, if, if we start giving 10%, we're not gonna be able to, to pay this bill or this debt or this, okay. Prayerfully start somewhere. Start 2%, start 3%. Start somewhere and begin prayerfully moving forward and asking God to bring provision into your life miraculously to help you pay down debt, to help you pay off some of those higher bills, to ask where are there are areas where you can sacrifice and move towards God's standard for tithing. If you struggle in this area, I would encourage you, schedule it. That's what Angie and I do. We get paid twice a month. Every time we get paid, the first check that comes out of our bank account is our tithe. Back to, we schedule it, happens electronically through our bank twice a month. Schedule it. If, it's, if it is a struggle for you, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When it comes down to not just this area of our life, but a lot of areas of our life. I did a funeral yesterday for, um, I did a funeral yesterday for a man who died when he was 70 years old. In our culture, we kind of think that was surprised. We think that's, that's young. 
This afternoon, as soon as the 11 o'clock service is over, I got to sprint out of here. I got to go up to be Cyrus um, and I've got to do a wedding for a young couple this afternoon. And you think about families, you think about legacy at the funeral yesterday. You think about a young family who's starting a legacy now, moving forward. I spoke at a camp um, uh, probably four or five weeks ago, uh, all high school students this summer. And there was, a, I did five days in a row and one of the messages, um, there was a moment about financial fiscal responsibility. And I looked at these high school students and I said, you know what you need to do? You need to tie. They looked at me like you're looking at me right now. That's, what, that's how they looked at me. They're like, man, you're nuts. And I was like, no, it's God's word. It's God's standard. I know we've all got feelings that are attached to it. Money is a wonderful tool, but it makes a terrible, a terrible God. Just like so many other heirs, so many other idols that we can create in our lives, it comes down to my way or God's way? I was at this funeral yesterday and I was reminded that somebody sent me a note a couple of months ago about a survey that was done. I think they heard about it through NPR, but they did a survey of a thousand funeral directors all over America. And they did this survey and one of the questions they asked on the survey was, what's the most often requested song for funerals? I don't know what your first thought was. My first thought, it's gotta be Amazing Grace, right? Wrong. The most often requested song for funerals in America is My Way by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> That's the most often requested song. So I thought about that song. And so here's what I'm gonna do. Here in just a second, our guys have got the song queued up back here in the back. We're gonna listen to the last stanza of, of My Way, okay? Guys, if you would, go ahead and hit it. he got if not himself Sinatra ends this song, this story, um, musically, about a man who proclaims that he did it his way. And here's the last stanza. I just want to read you the words. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he, has, then he is not. In other words, if he doesn't maintain his ability to make choices and do things his way, he's not. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not, to, not the words of someone who kneels. In other words, don't bow yourself to anything. Let the record show. I took all the blows and I did it my way. Standing there at the funeral yesterday, I had this moment where I thought about my life. This guy, a gentleman who passed away was 70 years old. That's in range for a lot of us. 
We're all going to stand in front of God today, in front of God one day, stand in God's presence. And it's not going to be you and your spouse or you and your mom or you and your dad, right? It's not going to be you and your grandpa, grandma. It's going to be you and God. What's your declaration going to be? I did it my way. Or are you going to say, God, I'm so grateful for your way. I said at the funeral yesterday, God's goal, God's goal is not to get you to go to heaven when you die. It's not a goal. His goal is to have a relationship with you that begins right now through the person of Christ where he is the king, not a king. He is the king of your life. And I'm telling you, when that happens, the wonderful grace of God, you begin to walk in forgiveness and freedom. And God's love can become your label. You can begin to see yourself as a son, <clears throat> a daughter of God first. And when you do that, everything else starts to make sense. My prayer for us today, my prayer for you today, if you're here, maybe you wandered into church, maybe somebody brought you for the first time, you're like, man, I don't know what all this is about. I'll boil it down to this for you. Just like Zacchaeus, are you willing to come out of your tree and walk with the Savior who sacrificed everything for you. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for um, the life of Zacchaeus. We're grateful for what we've learned, what we learned from him from God, the things that maybe he did positively, we learned from him and the things that he didn't do so well. And we learned, God, that somehow we all identify with him. But God, more so than identifying with Zacchaeus, what we really want to do, God, is we really want to identify with you. Your sacrificial gift to us on the cross, the pain with which, God, you were willing, you were willing to offer up yourself. God of heaven didn't have to, but you loved us and you wanted to. God, we are so grateful for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we um, get ready to round out our service uh, today, we're gonna sing a new song. Our band is gonna lead us. It's one of those uh, newer songs that was probably written over the last year. And I think these are some of the best lyrics that I have recently read about the life of Jesus, referring to the passages of the, uh, the, the suffering savior from Isaiah, pulling those all the way into the New Testament and into our lives. So I hope that these words become just as meaningful to you as they are to me as we head towards now in the Gospel of Luke. We're heading towards the crucifixion moment, the son of suffering moment. I hope these words become as meaningful to you as they've become to me. Would you stand and we'll sing together.